Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. And it is March of 2020, actually the middle of March. And um, I'm not alone today on the podcast. I've got a couple of men, dear brothers, with me. I've invited them to come and ask them to share their opinions, their perspective on what we're all dealing with and what our world is dealing with, this new uh, COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. And so I'm going to ask these men if they would just to introduce themselves. So we'll go around. Breck? Uh, my name is Breck Wheelock. I'm a physician assistant. Uh, currently, I, I do orthopedic surgery. Um, and I've been a member here at Cornerstone uh, for about a year. Been coming here for close to three now. Okay. Yeah, and so Breck has, uh, he's, he's being a little bit coy there, but he's uh, an excellent teacher uh, and is currently helping us in our, our Sunday School Bible Study classes teaching through Romans 1. Um, I, I've found his analysis to be very helpful and encouraging, and I trust that you will as well. Uh, in addition to Breck, we also have Mark. Mark, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Mark Ritchie. I'm an elder at Cornerstone, and I guess I've been here since 2003 whatever that comes out to, 17 years, mm-hmm. 16 and a half, and uh, really excited to be on online with you. Yeah, Thanks, Mark. Glad, glad to have you here with us as our one of our elders, another elder. Uh, and then also Jeremy. Uh, I'm Jeremy Dice. I'm uh, one of the deacons at uh, Cornerstone, and when I'm not being a deacon here, I guess, which we've been here now for five years this coming June. Um, but other than that, during the day, I'm an attorney. I work on uh, religious liberty matters around the country. Okay. Well, I'm glad to have Jeremy here as well. And, and what I've asked these men to do with me is just to just try to respond to what's going on in our culture right now. Uh, how can we as Christians seek to understand what is COVID-19? Um, how can we as Christians respond to that? What is our responsibility? Um, and then some of the bigger questions. What, what's going on? What is God doing? What does the Bible teach us about God's perspective in the midst of these type of crisis moments when plagues are uh, ravaging the world, if, if we can use that language. Maybe that's a little too strong. But so let's go around the room. I want to ask some questions. And I'm going to start out with Breck. Uh, Breck, what is this thing? What is coronavirus and what makes it different from the typical flu that we see in this time of year? So as you said, the, the coronavirus, uh, when we say COVID-19, that's actually referring to the disease that it causes. Um, the name of the virus is, it's a long name, but it's SARS-CoV-2. Uh, just means Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. So that's the name of the virus. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about it as of yet because we've only been encountering it for the last few months. Yeah, so when did the, the information first start coming out about this thing? Uh, I think a lot of the studies have been over the last couple of months, primarily, okay. January and February. Um, but new things are coming out almost by the day at this point. Yeah, I want to say um, when I, I did a little research on it, and the first major notification that, that got broadcast was sometime in January of 2020. And that means, you know, it was incubating and these things were already happening in Wuhan, China, uh, back in December and um, late last year. But it wasn't until... January that um, Department of Health came out and said, hey, this is an issue, and then things ramped up pretty quickly. Um, it was declared a pandemic, 
recently. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that it's a pandemic? People hear that word and they they respond with, with pan- panic. Pandemonium. Right, with pandemonium. But what does it actually mean? So usually when we use the term in epidemiology of, uh, of an epidemic, it just means that this is something that is spreading in a local kind of geographic region. Gotcha. When it becomes pandemic, it's becoming more global. It's being spread to, you know, various places of the world, throughout right. the world. Right. Okay. So pandemic is not a word that should really frighten us. It should just give us an understanding of the scope of the fact that this virus has now spread multiple countries. Yeah. I don't know the, the recent data on that, but... And that's to be expected with all the, you know, the air airfare that we have now. But why is this one so, um, I guess, so acute in its its impact? What What is the, the thing about this particular virus that has caused so many people to respond the way they have? Uh, again, this is something that they're studying and we really don't know. Okay. I can give you the CDC statistics where it compares this to the seasonal flu. Um, but even then, it's kind of comparing apples to oranges because the seasonal flu is something we've studied for decades now, yeah. whereas this is something we've only studied for a few weeks. So we're just we're still learning yeah. about all of this, but it's also I mean it, it's it's a new virus that's been introduced uh, to the world. So that's part of the problem, right? Yeah. Is that we've never our our bodies have never encountered anything like this, so we we're not prepared to fight it off, and so the spread is happening so rapidly because it's just new. Right. Okay. And, you know, as a coronavirus, there are other coronaviruses. Okay. Um, so this is just a new kind of species of that family. Okay. So it's it's not a completely new animal. It's just a, a new strain of, of an old one, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. And if you really want to get technical, it's not an animal. <laughs> yeah, right. There's actually, this is kind of interesting, but there's a whole debate over whether or not viruses are even living. Okay. But we can save that for another podcast. <laughs> Well, uh, well, okay, let me ask a little more practical, close-to-home question. We know a little bit about what this is. We know a little bit about how long it's been around. But what can we do? Just practical things. What practical things can we do on a day-to-day basis to try to pr- protect ourselves from this virus? So um, the article that I relayed to you talks mm-hmm. about uh, infection control and prevention. And I thought that it kind of outlined it very well. Um, the best way to prevent the virus is obviously to just avoid being exposed as much as possible. Um, so if your work, for example, allows you to work from home, it's probably a, a good idea to do that. Um, you know, and to just avoid being out in places where you're going to be in contact with a lot of people, again, if you can. Right. So that's the first thing is just prevent uh, exposure. Stay away from sick people. Just kind of common sense stuff. Avoid touching your eyes, your nose, your mouth. Cover your cough and your sneezes. And if you're using tissue, just throw them into the trash right mm-hmm. away. Wash your hands. Um, clean, frequently touched surfaces, doorknobs, countertops, banisters, with any kind of common household cleaning spray or wipe. Obviously, hand washing with soap and water for 20 seconds is what they recommend um, mm-hmm. for us as health professionals. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers, sanit- sanitizers are good, 60% alcohol-based. Okay. Um, and the virus is spread through respiratory droplets from the nose or the mouth, so through coughing, sneezing, and, and this is how people, you know, get infected. So yeah. we just try to reduce that as much as possible or being exposed to people who are sneezing and coughing. And these are things that, I mean, we, we all have or have had small children in our homes 
as fathers. And so these are just things that we typically do during cold season. Uh, my wife's a teacher, and so she's surrounded by you know a dozen you know second graders all the time. And so she's constantly wiping down surfaces. And these are just practical steps. Nothing necessarily drastic in comparison to what we typically do around cold and flu season, right? No. Okay. It's going to be basically the same thing. You just treat it as if it's flu season. Okay. That's good, helpful information um, and, and just kind of puts it in perspective for us. This is, this is not something that we are not prepared to do, right? We don't have to go out and, and stock up on thousands of things we've never had before. We just need to do the things, <laughs> right? We need to do the things that make sense that we already know, but do them uh, yeah, some, pretty of us faithfully. Have been, some of us have been washing our hands for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I learned to do that when I was a kid. Welcome to the party, those who have not. Yeah. I try to remember to do that before I go to the OR. That Yeah, that's a good picture. That's good. Make sure you scrub in well. Another thing just to mention, um, in case people are wondering, is there's no benefit for wearing masks if, okay. you're, if you're healthy. Yeah, so unless you were having signs and symptoms of the flu uh, and you were going to be out where other people are, which, again, I would recommend you just stay home at that point anyway, uh, but if you wanted to protect other people in your house, if you're having those types of symptoms, then you could wear a mask. Gotcha. But otherwise, there's really no benefit okay. to doing that. So that's good advice. Uh, and that kind of gets to the, the next question I wanted to ask is, what do we do? What, what must we be prepared to do if we do find ourselves uh, getting ill? We, we think we've contracted this, devi- this virus. What do we need to do? You said a self-quarantine is the word we're hearing right now. That's a, that's a good practice right now. Yeah, in terms of, you know, not wanting to put the rest of your family at risk, then, yeah, you could, you know, maybe think about wearing a mask or something like that at home. Um, The the disease progression, it's usually you don't start showing signs and symptoms until the second, anywhere from the second to the 14th day, usually within the first week. Okay. Um, But even then, it's going to just be a normal upper respiratory type infection. Unless it became a lower respiratory infection in which it's uh, involving the, your, your bronchial or your lungs or something like that, then you would need to seek medical attention. Okay. But, you know, you don't want to be flooding the ER because they're having problems with that now. Too many people just going right. over, you know, just being scared and, and just, you know, overloading ERs, which is not something that we need to do. Um, I'm trying to think, too, in terms of, like, risk stratification, right? The people who are most at risk are going to be people who are elderly uh, or who already have a lot of different medical conditions that might put them at risk. So, you know, usually people who are going to, say, be under 60, um, and especially, you know, young children, they don't seem to be all that susceptible. Right, I read about that. So, and I also read, I was sharing it with you guys a minute ago, I read of a, a recent report in Dallas of a, a 77-year-old man who uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. He was treated by the doctor uh, and was sent home doing well. His wife also tested positive. She stayed home, self-quarantined, did what the doctor asked her to do. And even in their 70s, uh, they're doing well. They're recovering um, so it's important for us not to assume if we do come down with this, we don't need to necessarily run to the ER because we're going to die in two hours, right? It's not a death sentence. It's a virus, and we can do some very practical and reasonable things to protect ourselves and protect others from getting this virus. Um, do, so, do we have a sense of how long the symptoms persist? How long does the virus take it to run its course? Has that been... That I have not 
read any data on that yet. Yeah, I mean, it seems encouraging to me with what you just said, Justin, yeah. with the folks here that, you know, quarantined, recovered, and, and went on. And your typical cold and flu even lasts under a week or so. So I'm, I'm assuming, but I don't think we've seen a lot of data on that yet. That's what will happen here. I do think this is going to turn on uh, what I might call the, the Woody Mr. Rogers effect. If Tom Hanks makes a full and, and final recovery... I think the rest of the world is going to be very happy to see sure. Woody, Mr. Rogers, Forrest Gump <laughs> having uh, survived this whole thing. And it'll give, frankly, in an odd way, a lot of confidence to everybody. Yeah. Perhaps you're right. That somebody in that uh, social strata to be able to come through it. He and his wife both. Rita, his wife. So, um, Other things that you can do in terms of like the treatment guidelines that they're giving, again, it's just kind of what you would do with a regular old flu. Right. So um, if you're having a fever, and they're defining a fever as, you know, a temperature of 100.4 or higher. Gotcha. Um, you know, you treat it with Tylenol, yeah. acetaminophen. Um, the other classic uh, signs and symptoms are going to be muscle ache, uh, coughing, things like that. And you can take something like ibuprofen, Advil, Motrin as an anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Which those three things, by the way, are the same drug. I know that's sometimes confusing, mm-hmm. um, and they like to make things confusing in the medical world by naming them a hundred different things. That's why you're here. That's why yeah. we need you to bring things but, down to the bottom. But when we say um, ibuprofen, it's the same thing as Advil, the same thing as Motrin, right. same, same drug. Um, and it's just an anti-inflammatory. Keep yourself hydrated, so drinking lots of water, and it's usually like... When my wife gets sick or something, I'll have her not only just drink regular water, but water water that has a lot of electrolytes. Okay. You know, just to kind of replenish the body of electrolytes. And that's just basically it. Yeah. So basic things that we need to know. Try to protect ourselves as best as possible. Uh, cleaning. Um, not if we, if we do come down with some symptoms or we feel like we're uh, potentially sick, um, don't run to the ER necessarily. Depends on how your body is responding to what, what's going on. Um, maybe contact your doctor first, your typical doctor, your ENT or something like that. Um, I know I, in, in the, the MediShare program that I'm a part of, I, I'm able to actually log on and, and talk to a doctor uh, online. Um, so that might be a good option for people here in this situation so as not to flood our healthcare system uh, with unnecessary cases. Um, and do the, the kind of things we would normally do when flu season rolls around. If we get sick, you don't come to church, right? You don't bring your 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 kids with, that have fevers to church or school. You try to protect others by, by not exposing more people. Uh, make sure you stay hydrated. Treat with over-the-counter medications. Uh, add some electrolytes, maybe some vitamin C or something like that into your diet if you don't already have it. Uh, just try to try to let your body fight it off. Yeah, Does that sound like reasonable advice. Yeah, and another thing that. Um, sing, seems to be distinguishing this from, say, a, a normal flu, is uh, it lacks the typical runny nose and okay. nasal congestion that a seasonal flu will have. Go straight to the upper respiratory. And I think that's kind of helpful because you know we are entering into you know spring and a lot of people have allergies, which Good causes point. you know nasal congestion and runny noses, and you don't need to start flipping out um, because that doesn't even really seem to be one of the common symptoms of this of this particular virus okay good man that's I really, really good feel the need to sniff right now <laughs> the power suggestion um well breck i really appreciate you being here for this purpose just to help us understand what we're dealing with and give us some reasonable sound advice there's uh there's reason to be concerned but there's no reason to panic at this point 
but we need to be very careful in the things that we do and how we do it. Uh, but a little information can go a long way to helping us understand what's happening. So thank you for, uh, for sharing that. Now, I, I do also want us to know uh, in the midst of what's happening, we do have responsibilities. Um, and, and our responsibilities as the people of God, as followers of Christ, ha- have not been suspended because the world is panicking over this virus. And so, Jeremy, I want to ask you a question. Just in a general sense, what do you think should be our Christian response to what's happening in our community right now? Well, look, I, I think there's a lot of things that we, we could do, but it kind of coincides with some of the medical advice, too, which is use common sense, mm-hmm. be prudent about what you're engaged in, but try to maintain as normal of a schedule as possible. Okay. Uh, especially things like holing up in someone's house, while that's good and kind of secludes you from the rest of the world, uh, sadly enough, our indoor air quality is not always the best. Plus, there's beneficial effects to being out in the sunshine. Now, well, it's not very sunny this week, apparently, <laughs> but you know, as much as we're able to breathe in the fresh air, such as we have here in Dallas, and, uh, and get out there and enjoy those things, it's always good for the body and, and good for the soul, too. Um, but in terms of the other aspects of it all, let's be prudent about what we're engaged in. You know, if, if, um, if, if you are in that immunosuppressed age category that seems to be hit hardest by this virus, probably good for you to stay away from others, even, even those who are younger. Um, if you're younger, uh, you know, my, my son and some of my kids have had some concerns about this, and I've tried to remind them what the statistics are telling us, that the, the younger you are, kind of the better it seems to fare for you. I don't know that that's a blanket statement we can make, but it's this, the numbers are pretty low in, in mm-hmm. the percentages of people being uh, really terribly affected by it. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't be something of a carrier to somebody else. And so we want to be wise about how we interact with others. And so, my, for instance, it, we're Sunday today. My family stayed home today. They've had some sniffles, and we just thought it's wiser for them just to stay out than it is to come here and potentially... You know, I've got a, an elder in both sense of the term sitting to my right in, in this conversation. I wouldn't want him to be carried, have something we carry to him and, you know, uh, affect my brother. So it's just prudent for us to do that. That's the same discussions we've had as deacons and elders this week as we've tried to figure out what do we do with the service here in light of what the government is asking us in terms of large gatherings. Do we get together or not? Uh, and, and the decision was, well, let's just kind of pare it down as, as much as we possibly can and still have some room to meet together. I think that was a, a good decision. and It was not an easy decision, I think, for, for everybody, but it was a good decision for us to make to just kind of narrow it down as much as possible. Everything was clean from top to bottom when we got here. It smelled clean even when he came in. I hope it smells clean every week, but it seemed to be even more this week. Uh, and, and we just used as much common sense and prudence as we possibly can. So we're not rejecting uh, the, the common wisdom that's being shared, uh, the direction that's being shared by the CDC, local health departments, but we're... We're taking that in, in stride um, and trying to be prudent and, and let this information benefit not just us, but our concern for others. And that's really one of the things I wanted to talk about and ask you to respond to is that, yeah, we can do some practical things for ourselves, um, not not panic, not shut ourselves in the home, um, be, be prudent in our response, but also uh, recognize that we have some responsibility to take care of our own bodies, getting out yeah. in the fresh air when, when that opportunity arises. Um, explaining things to our children. I mean, that, we take for granted that as fathers, we're, we're doing that anyway, but it may be good just to remind everybody, you're, if you're scared about this uh, and you're not giving a lot of information to your kids, then they may be even more uh, afraid. Well, yeah, we've been through these things before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's swine flu, H1N1, whatever all these other ones have been, we, we've kind of been around 
these in the past and survived them. This is new territory for a lot of our kids. Yeah. And so it's, it's understandable why they'd be nervous about things. But, and I think this is where you're going with this all too. I may have cut you off, but not only do we care for our own physical bodies, but this is a great opportunity for us to care for our spiritual body, our right. body as a whole here. You know, we're in your study and I'm looking at the list of our care groups right behind you there. I'm so glad we put that together. Um, the deacons, I hope, have called each of you by this point just to check in with you or maybe they emailed you and said, hey, how's it going? What, what do you need? Where you're at? We're trying to get a sense of what is the literal temperature of our community. Is anybody suffering from this already? Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody has come down with anything close to this yet, but it's presented a good opportunity for us to be in a touch point. Uh, Craig Sword, for instance, is in my care group. He's in... Um, He's in Germany right now and kind of stuck there, right? And Europe is not a great place to be as a concern. I mean, let's put it this way. He's a lot closer to Italy than I am. And, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of concerning. And he's going to have to be on the inside of a tin can flying across the Atlantic Ocean here before long. He comes back, I think, this week sometime yeah. uh, and is going to be put in quarantine. And Vicky and I have been communicating with some regularity. She's nervous. Obviously, her husband is across the ocean trying right. to figure out what's going to happen to him. And him, is he going to be able to get back? He's close to the virus. What's he bringing back with him? All those are concerns that can really throw you into a tailspin of, of panic. Uh, but I've been very impressed with both Vicki and, um, and Craig, and, and they're, they're just confidence in Christ. They, they've done well to prepare uh, for things over the years. They've been through this as well before. But uh, their, their approach to this is that uh, there's only so much that they can do. They're going to wash their hands. They're going to uh, take the right precautions. Uh, Craig will be at home probably for two weeks following whatever guidelines yeah. the government puts on him when he comes back here. Uh, but at the same time, they are relaxed knowing that God is in control of these things. And we put that out on our, our email this week from Psalm 91. Uh, God is our refuge. He is our fortress in times like this. He is the one that cares for the, the pestilence and makes sure that it does not affect his people. You know, uh, And I think Craig and Vicki serve as a very good example of that. Uh, and we ought to take comfort from that example uh, of saying, hey, their confidence is in something else uh, beyond a virus or anything else. We can have confidence in our Savior as well for him to care for us. And I, I love this too, that God created a body, a church for us to care for one another. Yeah. This is a great time for us to show what that means. Well, what does that look like? Because uh, uh, what you're describing is exactly what, what I'm hoping you would just talk about was the, right, we don't, uh, the roots of our faith go deep, so deep that, yes, we can be in some ways affected by these kind of, you know, a pandemic, but our, our our faith goes deeper than that. And so there's a there's a rooted sense of confidence in God in the midst of all that's going on. But but what about some of the practical things? You, you mentioned yeah. Craig and Vicki praying for one another, trying to encourage one another. What are some things that we can do for one another? Well, there, there are a lot of practical things. You know, there's a reason behind, and maybe we're seeing the reason why we as the elders and deacons divided up the congregation when care groups. This is the example for why this becomes really very helpful. Uh, and I'm going to use you, Justin, as a good example of this. I know you received a lot of calls, text messages, and emails from our members, and you were so gracious to receive all those things. But as a very practical thing, folks, call us as the deacons. Call your deacon. That's why we put you in place, so that that communication level will be coming up that way and that Justin is not distracted by a thousand different things. Kind as he is to respond to every one of those things, his job is to be, his, his purpose anyway, is to be working on spiritual care for his people here in this, this body. We've set aside deacons to care for you in this. So at a real practical aspect, that communication flow is very helpful. 
call your deacon. If they haven't called you, call them, email them, text them, whatever it might be. Just we have the organization in place for a reason. Let's use that as a common sense way to communicate. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty of how we care for one another, it could go in a lot of different directions. Call that elderly person you know that is in that high risk category. Call, I didn't say go by their house, call them <laughs> and uh, find out how they're doing. Check in on them. Send them a text message if they actually do that sort of thing. The little text messages like that can go a long way. Um, it, it does a tremendous amount of encouragement. Uh, send them a Bible verse saying that you're praying mm-hmm. this for them at that time. That is actual care that we provide, even when we provide like meals and things like that. That's a different kind of care. But just simply saying, I'm there with you. You're my brother or sister in Christ. I'm here to care for you. That means a tremendous amount. Yeah. And then there may come time, and I hope this will not be an issue, but there may come a time if things uh, continue on a panicky feel like it is right now. And I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I think folks are going to start calming down pretty quickly. <clears throat> but there may become physical needs that we need to care for as well. Yeah. Uh, look, DFW is bought out of toilet paper. I mean, it's all gone <laughs> right now. And there may come a time when we need to say, hey, uh, Mark, do you got toilet paper at your house? Because, you know, Justin needs some at his house. Well, you know. That was actually an issue for us yesterday because <clears throat> we realized we were a little bit low. And so I went to three different places, and of course they're all out. And Bailey said, you know, it's okay because, you know, there's someone else in the... I'm not going to name this person so that not everyone's... <laughs> don't don't everybody call that guy. <laughs> yeah. But another, uh, you know, sister of ours ha- has stocked up, you know, for, for, for months. So she offered to give us some if we need it. At a very, very low rate, I'm sure. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, there's the great opportunity for us to, as we saw the early church doing, share everything that they have in common. Uh, and there may be an opportunity for us here beyond toilet paper. And yeah. we, we use that because it's the easy example right now. And but only if it's two-ply. Yeah. <laughs> but there could come a time when we actually need food. You know, I went yesterday to Walmart to pick up a few things myself. There was zero ground beef. I mean, not even like in the edges of the things that fell out of the containers. I couldn't even grab that. Mm-hmm. There's none. It was all gone. Uh, and thankfully, we've got plenty of other food. Don't send me ground right. beef or we're doing fine. Um, but there may come a time when if that kind of run on the market, it causes a problem. We may need to share that food with one another. That's another reason for us to be developing these communication channels really well right now. Yeah. And the best way to communicate that is not through one single person, but spread across the board so that that burden is lessened. And yet those needs are able to be met. Yeah, I think that's incredibly helpful. We, we do have a, a care group structure with a deacon that is um, responsible for that entire care group. and that, But that care group is responsible to one another. Mm-hmm. And so whatever means of communication have been established, begin to communicate with everyone in the group and just pray for them, encourage them. If a, a passage of Scripture was helpful and encouraging to you in your morning devotion, then share that with the group. Uh, and then even beyond that, we have relationships. We have deep friendships as a body. Uh, and we stay in close contact with those that we are closest with and just to make sure they're okay, especially the people that are close in proximity to us. We have mm-hmm. uh, church members that live a street over uh, and church members that live a mile away, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to find ways to reach out to those individuals and encourage them and pray for them and just make sure they have the basic things that they need. And if they don't, and I can meet that need, be ready to do that. That's what the body does for one another. So no matter what's happening locally, uh, we need to understand that the roots of our faith go deep. We have reason to be confident in the Lord. Um, and we need to be prudent. We need to see this as an opportunity for us to serve one another well. Mm-hmm. God has equipped us to do that. God has prepared us for that. So let's step into that and take advantage of it. 
Um, anything else you might want to share? Yeah, I just this is a note from history. This is completely outside of the deacon kind of world, but I just found this very interesting. I shared this with the elders and deacons earlier, and it's on my Facebook page as well. But back in 1918, we had the Spanish flu threatening the country, and it was a bigger deal then than it is today because the conditions were worse and the disease was worse than what it looks like we're facing right now. But the the government in the District of Columbia asked the churches to shut down, kind of the same kind of ban right on the certain amount of large <laughs> gatherings. And uh, the church is there. The pastor got together and said, well, should we rebel against this? Because we've got the freedom to assemble. We've got the freedom to exercise our, our faith. Maybe the government shouldn't be telling us what to do. And the churches, I think, very wisely said, we're going to, and they actually went on record. They passed a resolution that said, we want to go on record by noting that we are uh, gleefully, happily uh, complying with this request. And, and we're calling upon our people to spend time at home in their own private worship together as a, as a family, but also praying for the sick and for our leaders. And, and so they really turned this back on the people to say, number one, this is right and appropriate for us to pull back and try to reduce the threat and the, the spread of this virus. And number two, it's a good time for us introspectively to be, be doing what we should be doing anyway, praying for one another, caring for one another, and looking out for the needs of one another. That little effect, by the way, had a massive reduction in the overall spread of the Spanish flu in the District of Columbia uh, and its impact. Um, there are other churches, and I, I've been in communication with them, that, that are seriously threatening or thinking of doing some sort of civil disobedience. You know, there's a category in this world called stupid for Jesus, and that is right in it. I mean, it, it is it is not a wise move to be engaged in civil disobedience over a global pandemic. That's just, it's stupid for Jesus. It may be motivated by good things, but it's still stupid. Uh, and so we've advised, if, if you're curious, we've advised that churches continue to care for one another. That's what we do for one another, and we lessen the burden around the government and around their community because we care for one another first. Um, but then realize that the government has certain abilities to provide temporary restrictions so long as they're not focused upon one uh, specific viewpoint. Dallas has actually violated that. They said that churches or basically gatherings of 250 plus have to be closed down with the exception of schools and movie theaters, which, I mean, come on. You tell me the churches are less germ factories than movie theaters and yeah. schools? I don't think so. So that could be a challenge for them to, to maintain. But they're asking for a good reason, and no court's going to kind of hold that back from them. If they engage in some sort of permanent ban, that's a different discussion that we're having, and then I might join you on the civil disobedience lines, but that's that that's not contemplated right now, nor should it be. Um, anyway, that that's just all bonus stuff that you get because I like to talk a lot, <laughs> but it's uh, it's something that I thought was interesting well, from history. That's good advice. We as believers, we we don't need to be unwise. We don't need to be stupid. Mm-hmm. We need to take the information that's given to us, and we need to make um, calculated decisions about how we're going to respond. We have to weigh that out well. Are we going to make this a hill on which we're going to die here because we don't want to obey the state? We want to obey Jesus. Or is it really, has that really what it's come to? Or can we be wise? Can we make some concessions here for the good of our neighbors? Uh, and I think that's what we're trying to do as Absolutely. a church. Let me, let me ask one last question. Simple. Um, okay, you, you've mentioned, yes, we help out our neighbors. We share toilet paper, uh, food if necessary. Well, we share sure unused toilet paper. Just to make that's, sure that's, that's true. Clear. I assume that's an assumption. I'm glad but you made that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I really <laughs> want to make sure that's going to come through clearly. <laughs> we are certainly responsible and required to do that for one another, meaning those within the household of faith. But what about our neighbor who's an unbeliever? Well, yeah, that's a great point. Look, and we've made this point throughout the entire care group process. What about the visitor in our church or the person that's not a member but longtime attender? 
look, if that person is suffering, uh, that's not time for you to walk across the street and cross over there so you don't mm. have to be burdened by that person laying in the pit beside the road. Go care for that person. Christian duty requires us to care for one another and to care for others outside as well. But we're trying to give a, a primacy, a, a priority of care upon those who have covenanted themselves as the cornerstone church here in Wiley. And so that's why we have this organized organization here to make sure that those that we are called to shepherd within our care are receiving that, that care. And I think there's some warrant in Scripture for giving that level of priority there. That does not, of course, mean that we just simply ignore the person who has been here for 20 years or five years or whatever but has not yet become a member. Yeah. We ought to use that as a reminder. We care for our members first and give, you know, we're, we're making sure we're checking on them more maybe than others. So become a member. We want you to be a member. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we abandon them at all. And then going beyond just the, the regular visitor to the person who is an unbelieving neighbor, yeah. you know, they are probably more in fear than you and I are mm, because perhaps. we possess the peace of Christ and we understand who sits on the throne and who who uh, will set all things right in the final end. And if we were to perish today, uh, though we would not want that for us or our families, we know that there is a future that awaits us that is glorious and free of all these pandemics. And so we would be glad to be able to, to rest in that knowledge. They don't. Yeah. And they have that end fear. Uh, and I, I believe that's why we're seeing the panic globally here, is sure. because we have the fear of uh, what was once supposed to be perfect is now no longer perfect, and the world is literally trying to destroy us and kill us. Uh, and that should create fear in them. And it ought to drive them to repentance on their knees and to having that trust and the peace that comes through Christ. Uh, sadly, it may not, but understand that's where they're at. But this may be a good time for us to come and, and meet physical burdens. Christians since the early church have been the first to go in to uh, plague-ridden areas right. and care for people. We should be the same people as well. There's, there's a great statue in the United States Congress in, in the, the capital of, I think his name was Father Joseph. Um, it's a very odd uh, statue, but every state has allowed two statues in the state in the United States Capitol. He's one of the two from Hawaii. Uh, and he, as a Catholic priest, he went to, uh, I think it was Malachi, in um, one of the islands in, in Hawaii and served the leper colonies in Malachi. Uh, and they called for him not to do that. And he, he said, my duty as a Christian is to go care for these people. He contracted the disease himself. But this is what people have done within the church forever. Don't be stupid about it. Be prudent about how you engage in it all. But at the same time, this is a chance for us to really show others in a practical sense how yeah. much we love them because Christ has loved us. I think about the Apostle Paul's instructions. Do good to all people, yeah. but especially to the household of faith. You, you mentioned giving a certain sense of priority to our, our body here, but we certainly don't neglect uh, our neighbor who was created in the image of God and just as much in need. So that's good advice. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and some of the things you said about um, <clears throat> believers, mature believers, having a uh, that deep-rooted faith and an understanding of our eternal destiny because of the gospel— uh, it leads me to another question, and that's the bigger picture question, which is like, what, what's God doing in all of this? And so I've got the, the elder statesman here with us, Mark Ritchie, and I'm going to pose that question to you. So we've heard from, you know, from a medical perspective, what can we be uh, thinking and doing and preparing for? We've heard from just a, uh, a Christian service perspective, what should we be doing and preparing for? But from a theological perspective, what is, what is the place and position of God in the midst of what's happening? All right, well... I appreciate the uh, 
Reference to elder. <laughs> Not speaking of an office, but just my extreme old age over here. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing to remember is not much has changed. Sure. People are like, what is God doing? Oh, no. And it turns out not much different than, than we've lived with for the last several, several thousand years. Um, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point, but the world is under a curse from the fall. And like you said, the, essentially, I like how you put it, the world is after us. Yeah. <laughs> the world is... We, we are divided against each other, and we're divided against the world. And pretty much it's a destructive place that, is, that has been after us for our destruction for a long time. Anyway, um, Christians should know that it's not that different. God, this comes up every time there's something, 9-11, a tsunami, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Where was God? Well, he's the same place as he was when your grandmother died last week. This this stuff is happening daily, and so um, remember the theological reason for this, and and look towards the new heavens and the new earth is the basic thing. Um, what I wanted to uh, share with you guys that I'm, we talked about a little bit before we started, um, two uh, two things have been going around on Facebook that I thought were actually really helpful. And I, I tracked down the Luther because the Luther sounded too good to be true. So there was a Luther quote and a Lewis, a C.S. Lewis quote. And the Luther quote sounded like one of those phony fake news kind of quotes. Mm-hmm. Finally tracked down the, the source. Not a, it's not at all misrepresented. He actually did say this. But, but to go back to Lewis for a second, Lewis was asked one time, how do I live in, a, in an age of an atomic bomb? Oh, no. Now there's an atomic bomb that can destroy me instantly. And the first thing he said was, about the same as you've always lived, about the same as, uh, as the rest of, the, of history has lived. Why, why don't you live in the same way as when the plague visited London almost every year? Or, the, mm-hmm. or when you lived in the Viking Age when they could have um, landed in the night and cut your throat and stolen your children every night, you know, any time. Or the way you live in an age of cancer. Or the way you live in an age of railway accidents or motor accidents. So he says, guess what? Live the Christian life. It's yeah. the same as tragedy is, has always been with us. He says, if we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Hmm. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing a game. Do what humans do, especially redeemed humans, redeemed Christian humans, Trusting in God and acting like God is in control and realizing this is, this is a real danger and that we've always been under real dangers. Mm-hmm. So the Luther quote, though, was really interesting. It's part of a really large article. But <clears throat> the neat thing about the Luther quote is he gets into the government uh, intervention mm-hmm. parts and everything. He says, do I need to obey the magistrate? Do I need to take other action? Do I need to be at cross purposes with my society because I'm a... Christian or I'm a minister or something and he basically says no of course the government was very different in his time very cooperative with the churches and so forth but but he said basically no I'm gonna I'm gonna take advice I'm not gonna strike out on my own here's what he says oh God's decree the enemy has sent us poison and deadly awful I'll have to define that word some other time uh, therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. I'll, I'll turn this over to God first. Then I'm going to take the steps that, that we've all agreed on. I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take the medicine. 
I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated or infect and pollute others and cause their death by my negligence. Let's mm-hmm. not do that. If God should wish to take me, he, it sounds just like Lewis, he will sure me, find me, and I have done what is expected of me. And so um, it, he goes on, and we don't have to belabor that point, but act like a Christian and do what's required always. It hasn't mm-hmm. changed. But um, I'll just add, this is a different time period. Right now, at least in our homes, where a lot of us are being sent home. Mm-hmm. So there's an opportunity to act a little different in, in one or two respects. Um, number And there, we could make 20, a list of 20 things. I'm just going to throw out a couple. And maybe you have some follow-up questions. But um, you, you mentioned the news and what our children are thinking. I'd like to challenge the some some of us have a habit of turning on the evening news and just letting it blare out through the house. Mm-hmm. How about turning off the the TV news and maybe sit your kids down and read them a couple of leading articles on this topic in the evening. Be a conduit for truth to your kids. Don't let the TV um, disciple them in this area. How's that sound? Um, and in a related topic, if we're all stuck at home, take the time to read your kids good books. Maybe this is a maybe you've been wishing to be that kind of parent and you haven't done it. Now God's all of a sudden burdened you with all kinds of free time with your kids. We'll go ahead. Let's go ahead and use it. Let's do some cool things. And and lastly, uh, this family, this whole family worship concept. We we're now stuck. Um, we're down to eleven o'clock only, and possibly in the yeah. in God's providence uh, online only in in some future week. Who knows? We don't, by the way, we haven't made that decision yet. Um, but but no matter what it is, it's drastically reduced church attendance, drastically reduced small groups. Now's the time for mom and dad to um, to pick up their Bible, pick up their pick up a couple good books, and really start uh, working through their kids through some of this with their kids. Uh, your only Sunday school teacher now is going to be uh, you parents. Yeah, can I add into that because it corresponds with what you asked about our neighbor. Um, we live in an age where the family is pulled apart, right? It's either broken apart literally or um, just disintegrated in a lot of different fronts. Um, This is a great opportunity for us to have our hearts refocused on the importance of why God created a family. Mm -hmm. Spiritually, yes, to provide that level of care and concern and direction for our children. But I, I think it'd be very wise for us as a body to be specifically praying that perhaps in this awful event, God will turn the hearts of his people and especially of the world back towards the importance of a family. Uh, maybe this will be the first time that parents have had to actually spend the eight hours their kids have actually spent their whole days in school with their kids. Mm-hmm. And our prayer as a family, and I hope it's yours too, is that that will use it an opportunity for them to go, you know, I like these people, you know, and I know that sounds a little bit funny, but it's at the same time very true that maybe this would be the, the time for us to wake up as a society and as a world. This is not limited to the United States, but as a world to say, there's something to this family thing. Mm-hmm. Let's go back and rediscover what it might be. I didn't mean to derail what you're saying. I hope that, that actually that adds, adds to it, but it's a good time for us to be, as we're praying for the sick and our family's prayers that the Lord will actually just end this virus and and, and heal those who are ill from it. Let's also pray that the kind of 
uh, tertiary effects that are kind of well in the corona of this virus will actually allow us to mm-hmm. to have some positive benefit that comes out of it uh, and, and see those hidden parts. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I appreciate all of the helpful information that you've given and instruction and exhortation. Uh, Mark, especially, you know, remembering that the enemy here is not God. The enemy here is uh, sin and death and the curse that we are experiencing. The the world is warring against us. Uh, Kind of an idea is that this has been caused by sin. Um, And so is God still on his throne? Yes. The the God who has uh, loved us and given his son for us is, is still on the throne. He's the same today as he was yesterday. And so the, the calamity that we're facing right now shouldn't um, change the way we understand the truth of what God has revealed to us. But what we, what we are seeing should impact the way we respond, right? We can be prudent. We can be wise. We can take good information and we can apply it to our lives to comfort ourselves and comfort our children and be a help to others. We should be actively engaging in the life of the believer, not neglecting the role and responsibility that we have to care for our neighbor, to care for our children, um, to care for one another within the body. Uh, good advice from Mark about uh, don't let the television disciple your kids right now, but take advantage of the time that you're going to have as a family to uh, instruct them, teach them, pray with them, read with them. Uh, we got a great book right now that we're reading as a church, or we've encouraged the church to read, The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. It's a very challenging book, but it's a book that gets at the role of hospitality within the life of the church and how we need to recover some of that. This would be a great opportunity to sit down with your kids and read through that. Be very helpful, uh, paradigm shifting in many ways, because it opens us up to a new way um, of thinking about how we can care for our neighbors. And it just so happens by God's providence that we have a need to be caring for our neighbors in a new way right now. So as I'm summarizing all of these things, I wanted just to get any final thoughts from you guys that you would want your brothers and sisters here at Cornerstone and those who listen around, that you would want them to know about this. Anybody want to share a final thought? Final thought for me is just, it's all about perspective. And we want to know what the Christian perspective is. Right. And, you know, when we see things like affliction and suffering, whatever form it might take, um, it's gospel opportunity. Absolutely. And it's not time to have a chicken little mentality where the skies fall. You know, if, our, if, if we're trying to, to reach out to non-believers around us and say, no, we've got the truth and, and, and we want it to be viable and, and, and bright and attractive. Well, if we're panicking like everybody else, mm. then what good is your religion? What good is your God if, if the sky's falling for you too? Um, there's a there's a marquee at a hotel that I passed by on some of my commute, and um, the marquee this last week said, "Happiness is not having to set the alarm for tomorrow." And I just was thinking, you know, there's a lot of gospel in that actually. You know, from a spiritual perspective, um, we don't need to be alarmed about tomorrow, and it doesn't have to rob us of our happiness or our joy. We have a joy. In Christ, we don't need to have this alarmist mentality. Um, and you know, you alluded to my class talking about apologetics. I think at the heart of apologetics, you know, the most quoted verse often is First First Peter three fifteen. Always have that that hope. Um, always have an answer for the hope that lies within you. And it's within within the context of suffering. 
And we're in a context right now where people are panicking and some people are suffering because of disease. And uh, oftentimes that's occasion uh, to really let that hope shine. Mm. And, and notice that he's saying, you know, always have an answer for the hope that lies within you. It means that people are going to be asking you, what is this hope? You mm. have a hope that seems to be lacking, you know, and even in the midst of affliction and suffering, you still have a hope. What is that hope? It's gospel opportunity. And sometimes that's the best apologetic we can have, is just being secure in Christ no matter, you know, how bad the storm is around us. Right. Hmm. And it may be the people who are asking that are just your kids. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that, that could be enough. But, yes, there could be broader than that. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Any, any other final thoughts? I yield my uh, time to him. I think that said, yeah. said it so well. I'll just throw in just one more thing just to be a reminder about please be in communication with your deacons about Mm -hmm. this. Uh, If you've got the sniffles or whatever, ideally they're checking in with you, but there are men that have other jobs and responsibilities and families themselves. We've put this care group organizational structure in place for a reason. This is one of the greatest reasons we could have for it all, but please be in touch with them. Uh, Be assured also that... uh, you know, Justin is part of a care group, and so he's got a deacon that is looking in on him. Mark is a part of a care group, so as an elder, he's got a deacon checking in on him. Uh, if we will look into our bodies and, and just maintain that communication, it'll help out tremendously. And as Justin said, great chance for you to just reach in within that column of wherever you appear on that care group list and touch base with those people. This is a chance for us to really show how much we love one another. Yeah, that's good. That's good final advice. Um, well, this is obviously, I, I think, predominantly uh, going to affect, this podcast is going to affect our people, uh, the people of Cornerstone Baptist Church. But uh, I know there's other visitors, and uh, even in recent months, I found out that there are people that listen to this on the other side of the world. So we hope that this will be helpful to you. Uh, thank you guys for coming and, and giving us your time. Uh, and for sharing that information with us. And I'll wrap up in this way, like I always do. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you all so much for listening.